I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. It's June 13th, 1966. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Ernesto Miranda was a young drifter, a product of Arizona's reform schools with a string of convictions dating back to his early teens. Not the kind of person who usually makes history, or at least not for the right reasons. But it was today in history in 1966 that the US Supreme Court delivered a verdict that would make him a household name. Miranda versus Arizona, the basis for the Miranda rights you've heard in every American police procedural your grandma has ever watched. (laughs) Yeah, as in you have the right to remain silent, etc. Which, I'd never really thought, why is it called Miranda Rights? But to the extent that I had, I guess I always assumed, you know, if it's going to be named after someone, it would be someone who was innocent. And then their case became a cause celebre because they were found guilty due to something they'd inadvertently mm. said that was used against them. But no, this guy was like a proper yeah. criminal. Um, <laughs> who was then retried and found guilty again. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, so the decision that happened today was a split decision, five Supreme Court justices to four, and the majority of them basically said that because keeping someone in custody and interrogating them is fundamentally coercive, police need to make suspects aware of their rights to silence and to have an attorney if they want to use that particular offender or potential offender's confession in court. Yeah, the Fifth Amendment protects the accused from incriminating themselves and so the right to remain silent. And the Sixth Amendment is the right to an attorney. And the crux of the case rested on, are those constitutional rights implicit or do they need to be positively stated in order to be fulfilled? And from the majority decision on this day, they said, without proper safeguards, the process of in-custody interrogation of persons suspected or accused of crime contains inherently compelling pressures which work to undermine the individual's will to resist and to compel him to speak where he would otherwise do so freely. Okay, so this was the US Supreme Court. This was a big moment. Miranda v. Arizona, it's still talked about because it was such a significant decision. But it came out of a relatively kind of unremarkable crime, really, although it was very serious, one that wasn't exactly headline-grabbing. Uh, back in 1963. Yeah, so the case is traced back to an offence that took place on March the 2nd in 1963 when a young woman in Phoenix reported to police that she'd been kidnapped and taken to the desert and sexually assaulted. Now, detectives at the time, through tracing the licence plate of a car resembling the alleged perpetrator's vehicle, which had been seen driving past the victim's house, the investigation led to 
Ernesto Miranda, and he was a known offender who had previous convictions for voyeurism. And although the victim didn't manage to identify Miranda in a police lineup, he was taken into police custody and subjected to an interrogation. And there were parallels between this crime and the methodology of another robbery case, and police suspected that the same person had done both. So they had this robbery charge on the one hand and a rape charge on the other, and they put them together in Miranda. Yeah, and the whole thing was a little bit shifty. The robbery victim and the sexual assault victim were both asked to pick him out of a lineup, which they couldn't do. However, the police then strongly applied to Miranda that he had been incriminated. And then he said, oh, I suppose I had better tell you everything. And then yeah. ended up writing a confession. Yeah, he was kind of like having a chatty kind of, how did mm. that go after the lineup? And the, and the cop was like, oh, not good for you, Ernesto. Mm. And then it all just came flooding yeah. out. Yeah, it was widely seen by law enforcement as being acceptable to trick these people who they suspected of committing crimes. And I guess if you're coming from the perspective that he was guilty, in the 1960s, it wasn't necessarily seen as being unethical to strongly imply that they had already been positively identified if you thought that was going to provoke them to make what you, you know, what you assumed was an honest confession of the crimes. I mean, there is actually wide leeway in America for the police to lie to people who are being interrogated so that they can get the answers that they need. That's all fine. But it's the reason that you need a lawyer Mm. there, right? (laughs) It's the reason why it's really important that they say to you, by the way, it's your right to have a lawyer and not say anything until you have a lawyer. And so the argument was, you can't just go up to him and say that and then just write down what he says and prosecute him. He has to know that he doesn't need to say anything at all in response to what is a lie. incidentally, seems very civilised to me. I mean, there are so many circumstances within criminal law where you're expected just to know the law and ignorance is no kind of an excuse. But it's a recognition of an imperfect situation where... Police are in the business of law enforcement, not of Mm. rights enforcement. I mean, it literally isn't their job to make sure your rights are protected. That is a lawyer's job. Well, yeah, and in the pre-Miranda rights era, what was considered an acceptable way to recognise a suspect's rights was pretty vague. I mean, in this instance, Miranda wrote his confession and there was kind of an addendum to it saying that he did so voluntarily and in the full knowledge of my legal right. And that was seen as sufficient. It wasn't till Miranda rights would be codified that we would get to a place where, you know, there were these set words that would be read. Yeah, that's right. And Detective Carol Cooley, who was the guy who led the investigation, it it was interesting to read his reflection on this particular case. And he said of the interrogation that it wasn't a hostile situation. Miranda was mannerly and I was friendly and that's just the way it was. It wasn't a bad situation and we didn't have bright lights or rubber hoses or anything like that, which made me think. I think he's telling on himself. Yeah, this is someone who's saying this is what (laughs) happened sometimes, but not in this case. Yeah, and the issue of Miranda's constitutional rights was raised at the original trial. His public defender, Alvin Moore, tried to have the confession declared inadmissible, but it was thrown out. Miranda was found guilty and sentenced to 20 to 30 years. This is for the sexual assault. He appealed to the state Supreme Court, but that was rejected. And by the time it got to the Supreme Court, it was three years since his original conviction. And even this decision on this day didn't free him because he had also been convicted on the robbery charge. And that was an entirely separate issue. But also by the time it got to the Supreme Court, they were looking not only at the Miranda case, but also three others. It's actually a conflation of four cases that gives us the Miranda rights. It's just they're named after him for some reason. So, I mean, in in one instance, there was a lady called Dolly Mapp, who was in Cleveland, Ohio. Police entered her home looking for a suspect. When they were there, they arrested her for possessing obscene literature, but they'd never had a warrant to look for that. So the Supreme Court said, well, there's another example where 
someone has the right to be presumed innocent unless you go after them and tell them we want to look around your house. So there was a whole bunch of cases that they were considering and it became, I think, fairly clear cut that they needed a new way of making it clear to people that nothing's really changed. They always had a constitutional right to avoid self-incriminating, but it needs to be clear for people in a moment of stress they need to be reminded of that right. Well, this is the thing that the ruling represented this really seismic shift in American criminal law because the Fifth Amendment, that right to remain silent, had historically been interpreted as a way to protect people from really explicit forms of coercion, such as, you know, court-issued threats of contempt. So this is what you'd do when you were called to the witness stand to stop yourself from incriminating yourself. But now it meant that every single police officer, whenever they're arresting someone, they have to read you the now familiar Miranda warning that became known as Miranda. Yeah, I mean, now it's seen as an enshrined right. You know, even those of us who aren't in America, we're familiar with the process from TV and movies. But at the time, it certainly wasn't accepted straight away. I read an opinion piece from Arthur Crock where he wrote, a one-judge majority of the Supreme Court today added enormously to the difficulties the court has already imposed on police questioning of persons taken in custody on substantial evidence of crime. Yeah, well, you can understand why people who actually work with criminals and trying to prosecute criminals have found this difficult. I mean, probably would rather it didn't exist, even if intellectually they can justify it. I mean, here in the UK, we had a police caution. Uh, you do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned, something which you later rely on in court. That was criticised as recently as 1987 by the Home Secretary, Douglas Hurd. In a speech to the Police Foundation, he said, quote, Is it really in the interests of justice that experienced criminals should be able to refuse to answer all police questions, secure in the knowledge that a jury will never hear of it? Well, I think that sense was heightened by the fact that, you know, after the dismissal of the original case against Miranda, because he had been coerced into this confession, he then faced a retrial in 1967. But this time, instead of relying on the previously invalidated confessions, the prosecution presented just alternative evidence and called witnesses to testify. And one of these witnesses was Miranda's former live-in partner. And she said that he had confessed to her. Miranda was found guilty again and given a prison sentence of 20 to 30 years. And I think that must have informed a lot of those people's sense of injustice here, that Mm. the law had got the right guy for the right crime. And so this was just slowing things down and a whole unnecessary thing that was being foisted on police for no particular reason. Well, I don't know. I think it answers the question of, oh, you know, are we going to end up freeing people for no reason, doesn't it? It's like where you can still get someone whilst Mirandizing them. True. Yeah, I mean, he only served five years as well, thanks to that sweet, sweet, lax 1970s parole. Uh, but he gradually resumed his old life once he was free. He was convicted of more petty crimes. To make money, he autographed Miranda Wright's cards and sold them so for $1.50. You can't buy one. I looked on eBay to see. There is, I keep seeing everywhere that he apparently autographed Miranda cards, but I can't see one well, for sale. Well, he died after being stabbed in a bar fight in 1976, so he probably didn't have time to produce that many overall. The irony then being, after he died, police arrested a suspect who chose to exercise his Miranda rights of silence and was released because they couldn't pin anything on him. (laughs) Tomorrow. The end of part one was going to be an enormous spider's web that fell on the audience. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospector. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.